Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Support for Professional AF comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template that you love, customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way that you want. You know what I was thinking about? Uh Uh-huh. When I had a podcast and you did the ads on there, people would come up to us all the time and say, the ads are my favorite part. Do they come up to you all the time? No one has said to me, nor have you reported anyone saying to you. Nobody's mentioned it. Yeah, no one's like, I love the ads on your... (laughs) Podcast. Now, to be fair, they are asking about when your podcast is coming back. Yeah, but I, I think so that they can hear you do ads. <laughs> Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. Wix. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. We're trying something new. I don't know if you can tell. We take this ad thing very seriously. Wix. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. You can create yours today. One day, Diana and I will have our own podcast that's the two of us, and it will be called Just the Ads. Just Ads. Just Ads. See, we can't even agree. And we're going to make the website on Wix. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash professional AF to get 10% off. Hello to all of you listeners chock full of curious. I am Diana Kander and you are listening to Professional AF, a show that according to the latest review on Apple Podcasts makes business growth feel like a night out with friends. I'm here to bring you the science behind success habits at work. Today's episode is a really valuable one. Over the last six months, my husband Jason and I have been on an intense journey of mental health, and a lot of that growth has come as a result of both of us working with therapists on a regular basis. And of course, when you're going through something, you can really see the value in it for lots of other people. But when I talk about therapy with friends, I found that many found it an intimidating and overwhelming process. Even I have all kinds of questions about how therapy works, and I would love to ask my therapist, but... It just doesn't feel right to do it during a session. So this week, I sat down with Lori Gottlieb. She's a psychotherapist and writes a weekly Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic. Lori's written a number of New York Times bestselling books, which have been translated to 20 languages. Her latest book just came out on April 2nd, and it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Lori's going to explain how therapists approach every session and what they're trying to accomplish, how therapists think about change and how that can help you take meaningful steps in your own life, what they're scribbling back there in their notepads while you're talking, and what you can learn about being a better listener and a partner from how therapists approach their clients. 
No matter if you've been to a therapist before or you've been curious about it for a while, you're going to learn some big takeaways in this episode of Professional AF. Lori Gottlieb, welcome to the show. Thank you. This book is so good. Like, I was reading a gripping fiction book, and yet I was learning about the inner workings of how therapy works. It, it was just incredible. I have to commend you on an incredible, incredible work. I was on the edge of my seat and read it cover to cover in 30 hours. Well, So great. thank you for writing this book. So nice to hear. This was the first book that I got hooked on by title alone. So uh, a little personal sharing. About six months ago, my husband started seeing a therapist for PTSD 12 years after coming home from Afghanistan. And I had been seeing somebody off and on for anxiety over the years. But at that point, I decided to also prioritize my own mental health, especially after I learned about what secondary PTSD is and how it affects loved ones. And so I started seeing somebody at the same time on a weekly basis. And since we have seen over the last six months what can happen when you take the sleep and the effects that it can have on somebody. I feel like every person I hang out with, I'm like, maybe you should talk to somebody. So is that why you wrote the book, to get more people comfortable with the idea of therapy, to see how they could benefit from it? I think really I wrote the book because whether you go to therapy or not, I think we need to talk more about the things that we aren't talking about. I think we do need to prioritize our mental health. And for so many of us, we have so much going on in the day-to-day -day that the thing that's lowest on our hierarchy of what needs to get done that day is how are we doing? We don't spend enough time um, you know, thinking about that and doing something about that. And then what happens is it adds up over time until then somebody ends up in some kind of crisis and they say, oh, why didn't I do something about this earlier? And then they go to a therapist and they're like, I have, you know, three weeks to fix this. <laughs> well, right, can, right. Can you help I me mean, fix think, it right now? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, it's kind of like, like with your body, right? You, you, you do preventive medicine. You, you take care of yourself, hopefully. Um, but we don't do that with our emotional health in the same way. And so I think what I wanted to do in the book was to bring people behind the curtain and let them come into my therapy room and see what people are talking about and what they're dealing with. Um, because I think that they'll see themselves in these people, even though these people may look nothing like them. Um, I think that, that there are so many universal experiences around love and loss and fear and worthiness and, you know, all of those questions that we all have um, is that I really wanted people to know that other people are, have the same questions. And this is how they got through it. You introduced me to the term presenting issue, which is like the reason most people come to see a therapist. Do you think that people should have a presenting issue or should they just have a therapist that they see on a regular basis? Um, some people come into therapy because they do have a presenting problem, like they just went through a breakup or they're um, having, you know, questions about their career and, and they don't really know, maybe they're in a job and they're very successful, but they feel like they're not satisfied with what they're doing or they're not passionate about it and they don't know, you know, what to do. One of the early lessons from the book is that change and loss go together. So if you want to change in your life, you have to anticipate the loss of something that you want and that most people don't see that. They just want the change and nothing else in their life uh, to be different. And so nothing changes. Can, can you give me an example of what that looks like? 
Yeah. So I think a lot of times, say someone's in a relationship and they know that it's not the right relationship and they need to leave. But if they leave, there will be loss. You're going to lose the things that you did like about that relationship or even just the fact of being in a relationship. Um, And so some people will take a very long time to make a change because they will lose something, even if the change is positive and will get them something much better than they already have. It's very hard to let go of something that's familiar to you. It's like you might you might live in a in a horrible place, but you know, if you're a stranger in a new land and you don't know the customs there, you don't know the language, you don't know where anything is, sometimes that's scarier than staying in the horrible familiar place. Mhm. So the book is this fascinating story about something that happened in your life and you needed to go see a therapist. And early on, we learned that even among therapists, there is a stigma about going to see therapists. So you're afraid to ask for a referral because you think other therapists aren't going to send you clients or you don't want them to ask you what's wrong. So I think us non-therapists deal with these issues. So what advice do you have for how best to, to find somebody to go see? I mean, if you don't know any therapist, who do you ask for a therapist recommendation? Yeah, You know, if you know someone who's been to therapy, um, that person might be a good person to ask, even if you don't want to go to the same therapist as as your friend. um, You can ask your friend to ask their therapist, does this person have any referrals? And, you know, if your friend comes in and says to her therapist, my friend wants a therapist, do you have any referrals? That therapist, I'm sure, would be happy to give, you know, a few names. Um, so that's that's always a good way. Another way is you can go on Psychology Today or, you know, any of the, um, you know, you can do a little web research and look at, get a sense of people. You can get a sense from the profiles that they put up, what they're, you know, what they say about how they practice, what they specialize in. Um, and you have to kind of try on therapists um, because the relationship is so important. Study after study shows that Um, even more than the person's area of expertise or their years of experience or, um, you know, any of the, any of their training, the most important factor in the success of therapy is going to be your relationship with your therapist. Not that the other factors don't matter. They do, but you have to find the right fit. And so what I do, and I think what most therapists do is the first session is a consultation and it's an opportunity for the person to come in and get to know you, you get to know them a little bit and see how you work together and see what it's like in the room. And that gives you a good indication of whether you might want to work longer term with this person. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I mean, the importance of the relationship. But in the book, you stick with the first person that was recommended to you. And me personally, like whenever somebody recommended a therapist to me, I just went to go on to see them. I like it was just uncomfortable for me to say, maybe I want to see what else is out there. I don't know. But do you have any advice for from the yeah, patient's point of view? Yeah, my advice, I can tell you from, from the therapist side, is that if someone were to say, hey, you know, I, I want to see what else is out there, we as therapists are completely fine with that. We don't take it personally because we want you to get to the right place. I mean, our, our job is to help you. And if we're not the right person, we want to help you find the person who might be. So I understand that it's awkward. And also, 
you know, out in the world, that's such a hard thing to say. Like if you're on a date with someone and, you know, like, Hey, (laughs) I don't know. I kind of want to see what else is out there. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's really awkward. And I think that, that you have to realize that in the therapy room, it's, it's different from that. Um, it's that, we understand that not everybody's going to click with every therapist and, um, and that's fine with us. Right. And so we would rather that you bring it up than that we waste your time for, you know, a month or two where you're sitting there going, I don't really like this. We don't, (laughs) we don't, we don't want you to have that experience. That's a horrible experience to have. Let's say I pick somebody new and mm-hmm. like starting that new therapist is so overwhelming. I think even more so if you've seen a therapist before, because you could spend the first hour just catching them up on everything you've learned about yourself in previous sessions and all the different life events that your previous therapist thought were important. So how do you keep from getting overwhelmed in that first session? What's, what's the best way to do it? Right. So the first session is not a download of your entire life. We not we don't need the download of your entire life, so there will be time for us to get to know you. The first session is really about what's going on right now. What's going on with you right now? Why this day, this week, this month did you make this call? What brought you here today? And I think that that's a really good place to start because it helps us to get to know more about what's going on in your life right now so that then we can look at you know how you got to this place. That's a less intimidating way to start, not to have to bring like the equivalent of, of your book to say, well, here's here's me. <laughs> I'd like you to read this before our first appointment. Right. And part of, see, part of getting to know somebody isn't just the facts of their lives, you know, like what happened when they were younger or what happened in their relationships or in their careers. The part of getting to know someone is just what is the experience like to be in the room with them? And that gives us so much information about what might be not working out there. Because whatever somebody does in the therapy room with a therapist, they have probably done out in the world without realizing it. And one of our most important jobs as therapists is to help people understand the ways that they might be shooting themselves in the foot that they're not aware of. So we're holding up a mirror to them and saying, hey, take a look at this. You might not have seen this yet. And we do it in a really compassionate way but we need you to see it because if you don't see it, you'll just keep repeating whatever self-defeating pattern you're in that got you to our office in the first place. We all work hard to do little things to try to make the world a better place. Right, Jason? Right. We recycle. Yeah. I mean, I carry those little baggies when I walk our dog. You're just supposed to pick up after the dog. And I do. And even if it's like a long way to the next trash can, like <laughs> I will I will put that little baggie in that, my pocket if I have to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about little things that we do every day to make the world a better place. And why wouldn't we want to do that with the money that we invest? Swell makes it easy to invest in the change that you wish to see in the world. The concept is called impact investing, and it's the best way to vote with your dollars for the future that you want. You choose the global solution that you want to invest in, from disease eradication to clean water, and Swell puts your money to work, supporting innovative high-growth potential companies so that you can reach your own goals sooner. A better future for your money and the world at large. A growing body of evidence suggests that over time and in aggregate, 
Aggregate is a word we should use more. Impact investing actually matches or outperforms the broader market. So you can align your money with your values without sacrificing your expected returns. Plus, Swell's fees are fair, and you'll see exactly where your investments go and the impact that it stands to have. I actually had a friend who listens to this show reach out that she went to her financial advisor and asked about Swell Investments. That's pretty cool. Just visit swellinvesting.com slash Diana to start investing in the future that you want to live in. Do it today for a $50 bonus when you open an account. Swell, invest in progress. One of my favorite things about this book is how much of the mystery of therapy it reveals. What are you guys writing back there when somebody's in your office and you're taking notes? I feel like that is a cause for concern for many people I've talked to. Like, what what is it that they're writing down? Oh, in the chart notes, what do we write? Yeah. Um, everybody's different. I write down things that um, sort of the major themes of the session. What were some of the important themes that we talked about so that I can remember um, if I want to come back to them, I can remember to pick up on them the next week. Um, progress, um, often the names of people <laughs> because, um, because I want to make sure that I remember, I can remember an entire story about an interaction extremely well without writing it down the name I'm less good at. And so I think sometimes people will think, oh, she wasn't paying attention because I can't remember the name. But no, I, I remember the story exactly. But I may not remember the name. We're not writing anything that we wouldn't want you to read. There's nothing sure. in there that you would say, oh, my God, my therapist thinks that about me. <laughs> like crazy? They're just writing. Right. Crazy. No, we don't write insane five exclamation marks. <laughs> we don't do that. Um, you know, we just write down, you know, what what is happening and, and where things are and what are some of the, you know, usually we're working on these patterns. And so, you know, how have we made any progress with that this week? Or how have we talked about it this week? Or is there something that I noticed in the session that I don't think you it's a good time to bring up because you might not be ready to hear it. And if I bring it up, your defenses will go up even higher. And I will then have to break down that defense in addition to the other defenses. And it will take longer for you to progress. And so I'm going to hold it until I think you're really ready to hear it in a way that will be helpful to you. And then, you know, we can work on it. So maybe there's something that I'll write down where I want to just remember that, you know, maybe in a couple weeks, I'll bring that up. Can we, can we dive deep deeper into that? Because I feel like when somebody new comes in and you're like, wow, this is very obvious what's going on. And then, you, like you said, you like write it down. You think they're not ready. But I feel like that's what we want. We want for somebody to be like a medical doctor and be like, here's your diagnosis. Here's some homework to fix it. Why isn't that how therapy works? Um, because usually when people come in, they have a story and the story is completely accurate from their point of view. We're all like that. We all tell stories through our own lens. And what happens is people need to be more flexible with their stories. So when you go to therapy, you start to realize that there are other versions of this story too, that the story you've been telling yourself is keeping you stuck. Um, maybe there's a faulty narrative going on or an old narrative that doesn't apply anymore, something that you believed years ago about yourself. I'm unlovable. Nothing will ever work out for me, whatever it is. Um, and that that's part of the narrative that you don't even realize. And so, um, 
you know, somebody might come in and the way they tell the story has to do with either something's terribly wrong with them or something's terribly wrong with the people in their lives. You know, my partner, my mother, my father, my sibling, my coworker, whatever. Um, and and they they very much can't see what they're doing, how they're participating in this story, what they're, you know, if, if this were an actual, like, you know, uh, story story that you wrote down, um, you know, what is the character's role in the story? Um, and so I think a lot of times if you say, if, if, I, if I see in the very first session, oh, this seems to be a pattern, they're experiencing this with everyone in their lives, everyone they brought up today, they've had the same issue with. If I say mm-hmm. that in the first session before you know who I am, before you know that I'm on your side, before you know that I care, um, before we start to really get to know each other and trust each other, um, you may feel judged, criticized, um, feel that I completely don't understand the situation, that I'm taking somebody else's side, and you'll never want to talk to me about anything. You won't open up to me. So I'm going to wait to bring that up until I feel like we have a better, a stronger relationship, and then I might be able to have that conversation with you where you're able to at least consider the possibility that what I'm saying might hold some water. So is there like a progression that you think about in terms of change? So I, you know, in my non-podcast life, consult with companies to help them be more innovative. And there's actually so many parallels between therapy and innovation consulting because the you talk about how most people think their problems are external, like the things that are standing in their way are external, and your job is to help them take responsibility for for change. And I feel like that frequently is my job is to say, well, you can do things as opposed to all the things that are going on in the world that you think are responsible for for the negative things that are happening. What What is that theory of change? Like, how do we get people to open up and to be open to those kinds of suggestions? I think that it it happens in the relationship. I think that one of the big themes of the book is that we grow in connection with others. And in our lives outside of the therapy room, we're often, you know, in some way there's a performative aspect to it, right? We're, we're, we want something from the other person, whether we realize it or not. And sometimes what that thing is, is we want to be liked. Um, we want to be loved. And so sometimes we don't show our full selves to the other person. And in therapy, you really do show your full self. And once you do, you can start to really look at yourself in a more compassionate way. Um, And that helps get you ready for change. So when they come to therapy, a lot of people, I think, come to feel better about something. But what does that mean? Like, what's the ideal situation in therapy? And how often does it actually happen? Well, I think there's some idea that when you come to therapy, whatever you're experiencing will, will get better. And I think that that's true. I think that that most of the time, that's what happens, but you have to work. You have to work in therapy. It's not like, you know, you go to the doctor and you're like, I have this ailment and they're like, here's the treatment. And then you get better and you don't really have to do anything. Um, this is more like the doctor is like, if you don't exercise and eat healthy, you know, like you actually have something you have to do to contribute to this, this solving this problem. Um, so I think when people come in, yes, most of the time, if they put in the work and if they're open to the experience, they're going to feel a lot better than when they came in. Um, 
But I do think that um, if people are expecting that all of their problems will go away or that the people in their lives will have a personality transplant or anything like that, no, that's probably not going to happen. It feels like there are people who resist therapy. Like in the book, you talk about patients who lie to you, they withhold information. Why are these people going to a therapist? I feel like like me and the therapist are like detectives trying to solve a mystery. I have to give them all the evidence I have. They they look for new evidence. But why do so many people feel, like have an adversarial relationship with their therapist? I don't think they have an adversarial relationship. I think that they they withhold information um sometimes consciously, like they 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 don't want to talk about something because they have so much shame around it. Um, you know, there are aspects of their lives that they're so ashamed of, they're so embarrassed by that they they can't bring themselves to bring it up and to share that with somebody else. And it's like a secret that they've been holding. Um, you know, Carl Jung called secrets psychic poison. And that's because secrets are so corrosive, not only secrets between people, but also secrets we we have with ourselves. So sometimes people don't even realize that they're holding a secret because there's something so suppressed because they just don't want to think about it or deal with it that they don't bring it up or they tell themselves, Oh, it's not important. It's not really that relevant. Um, but I think that the things that we don't talk about are the big issues and the things that we easily talk about are not really what we need to be talking about. If you can easily talk about things, um, you know, on the one hand, that's great. But on the other hand, the things that are harder to talk about generally are the places that you need to start looking. In innovation, there's like the five whys. So like if something is broken, you ask why five times. So like something's not working. Why is that? Well, we forgot to do this. Well, why Why did you forget? Oh, because we don't have a process in place to remind ourselves. And so it's it's like a process of getting down to the root cause, I guess, of whatever the presenting issue is that's causing the problem. Right. Yeah, that's very similar. That's very similar to what we're doing as therapists. You talk about how the number of people seeing therapists has gone down significantly from like 20 years ago, and the number of prescriptions for mental health has gone up significantly. Can you just kind of paint a picture of what's going on? It feels like we as a society are more anxious, but you have a a unique vantage point to that. Yeah, there's a chapter in the book called The Speed of Want, and um, which relates to this issue of of uh, why people might prefer uh, medication over talk therapy. And when I was doing my internship, um, a bunch of us interns were in the break room in our, you know, we'd like have very few breaks and we'd, you know, do our chart notes or try to eat and we were always multitasking and it was just really, really stressful. And um, we were sort of calculating our hours because you have to get 3,000 hours in order to be able to take your licensing exams. And um, we were counting our hours and one of our supervisors walked by and she said, you know, the speed of light is outdated. Everybody now works at the speed of want. <laughs> and, and she's like, what, what, what does it matter when, you, when you're still going to get there? What does it matter when you, when you get there? Um, and she was just telling us that, you know, she said something like, you're not going to get today back. And I think that um, our culture, you know, is such a, is such a rushed, um, there's such a, an emphasis on hurry up and get things done quickly and everything's instantaneous with technology. And we don't 
really know what it's like to wait, even in the spaces between things, like in the elevator or when people leave my office and they immediately like it, like it's like an airplane where you know it's, it's like you can turn on your devices again. Um, you know, I think people just they have a hard time being alone with themselves in the spaces between things, waiting at a light, waiting in a line. Um, and also together, even you'll see people, you walk into any restaurant or any coffee place and people are together, but on their phones. And so I think when it comes to getting, you know, feeling like, well, I'm, I'm in some kind of pain and I want to feel better. Of course, people want to feel better quickly. But the question is, do you want to feel better in a way that will be lasting and make some real changes across all these areas of your life? Or do you just want to take a pill that will um, maybe do something? I, I'm a big proponent of medicine, I should say, of, of uh, psychiatric medication for people who uh, where, where it really does help. And so I'm not anti-medication, but all the studies show that for things like depression in particular, um, a combination of talk therapy and medication is the most effective treatment for a real clinical depression. So I think that people need to realize that, you know, maybe some medication is in order and sure, get the consult and see if it is, but don't discount the fact that the medicine might not be doing everything that you want it to do. That if you don't make changes like in your, what we call characterological changes, um, in the way that you relate to people, then, um, you know, you probably will still experience anxiety, depression, whatever you're experiencing, because you're going to have the same results in terms of your relationships out in the world. And I mean that in terms of both professional and personal relationships. So a relationship with a therapist is a very intimate one. And you have a lot of skills that create trust and intimacy, right? So you can be honest with people. What can we learn from what you know to make us better partners to our significant other? Like, are there techniques that you use that you wish people knew in their relationships? I think that people are so afraid of um, revealing themselves in relationships. Yeah, I think often we don't really know how to be present with another person. We fill the space with a lot of words. Um, Often, if somebody comes to us with an issue, we try to fix it or solve it because we love the person and care about them and want to make it better. Um, and sometimes what they need in that moment is for you to just be there, for you to let them cry and sit with them, for you to give them a hug, um, for you to just hear them. They just want to be understood. We all just want to be understood. And so I think that's part of it. And also, um, I think sometimes we respond to people with an agenda. So somebody comes to us and maybe they have a complaint about us. And, you know, this is like with one of the couples in the book, um, you know, the, the, the client that I'm seeing, he, he interprets all of his wife's, um, you know, what she says to him as complaints. And I said, but they're underneath the complaint is a compliment. And the compliment is that she wants to spend more time with you. She loves you so much that, the fact that you're working so hard and she can't spend time with you is making this marriage untenable for her. So partly it's a complaint, but partly it's a compliment. She's saying she loves you so much and she misses you. And he couldn't hear that part of it at first. And so I think sometimes we're so busy, you know, with an agenda defending ourselves. Well, I had this at work or that at work and I couldn't be there. Okay. 
but also hear the other thing and respond to the other thing, which is that she really loves you. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. What's the place? ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana. Ah. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Where do they stop? You know, I have a lot of reading envy when it comes to ZipRecruiter ads. Hmm. There's professionals doing it on the radio, and it really makes me feel... I don't know, insecure about the way we do it. I think that we should feel very good about the way. I think as a recruiter, I think we're treating them very well. It really makes me want to step up my game. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Hopefully it's not the job you currently have. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. That was pretty good. You like that? That was good. I feel like my mouth has just a lot of saliva in it when I read these ads. Do you want me to try? Sure. Yeah, let's hear yours. Like radio style? Let's do it. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Wow, that was intense. I don't, I don't even know you right now. I would have been louder, but True's asleep in the next room. So. <laughs> and right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Just remember it. Write it down. ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-I-A-N-A. ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That was good. Are you paying too much to send out packages and letters? Probably. Wouldn't it be nice to have a solution that can give you the lowest rates? This is starting to sound like those political ads where it's like a fake married couple sitting around a table. And they're like, did you hear that Congresswoman Smith did? And it's like, oh, my gosh. It's charging you extra to send your letters through the mail. It's like a very negative ad. I would never. Yeah. Well, we're not voting for her anymore. Well, don't worry. Because with SendPro Online, it's easy to save time and money no matter what you send, from packages to overnights and letters. Easily compare USPS UPS and FedEx rates all in one online tool. Also gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping. This is like the voice that comes in to tell you about the candidate they want you to vote for. That's what your voice is right now. (laughs) Print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer. Track all of your shipments and get email notifications when they have arrived. SendPro Online is only $14.99 a month. And for being a professional AF listener, you can get a free 30-day trial to get started, plus a free 10-pound scale to help you accurately weigh your packages. Well, you've convinced me. I'm voting for SendPro Online. <laughs> Vote on Tuesday. Just visit pb.com slash professional, like the professional that you are, to access this special offer. That's P-B, as in boy, am I glad these rates are available pb.com slash professional. I don't need to tell you how to spell it. You're the professional, you know. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of SendPro online. You know, the other candidate doesn't even give you a free scale. Vote today. Okay, so I speak. I'm sure you've been giving a lot of speeches and I, I have this one hour to change people's lives forever for the better, hopefully. And I know that we have a lot of listeners that also have non-therapy careers where they're trying to change people's lives. So 
what advice can you give us from the science of how people change and how to think about helping create change in others? If you can help somebody see themselves or see the world in a different way, that will open up their minds and that will make them curious and um, and kind of inspire them to, you know, if, they're, if they hear an idea about the world that they had never thought of the world that way, you know, people that they don't know very well or fixed ideas that they have or ideas about themselves. Um, I think that if you can if you can engage them in thinking about something in an entirely new way, just open that door for them, that will inspire them to make changes in the world and in themselves. And how do you I mean in the therapy room it takes weeks to to kind of push back and ask questions to get people to do that. How do you encourage people to see things? I mean you also give presentations. How how do you do that? I think I I talk about some of the major themes that I see in, in working with people and the ways that, you know, there are some very common misconceptions about the world or life um, that we all walk around with a lot of, a lot of them we've talked about today. And, um, and I think it's, you know, I mean, I think that's what I was trying to do with the book was, was to, you know, I, I always sort of pepper in, um, you know, little asides when I'm, when I'm writing, you know, when I'm writing this book, I, I do a lot of, and here is something, you know, like I, I, I kind of annotate it for the reader, um, so that they can, in case they, in case they, you know, didn't necessarily see something, I kind of point out, Hey, here's something that's happening. That's really interesting. Um, and so I think, you know, those are ways that you can, you can inspire people to think about things differently. I think the best thing you can do in the world is help people, you know, ourselves, we all walk around with our version of events and our version of how life is and, and how the world works. And if you can get people to open up and say, there might be other ways that, you know, how I see it might be true to some extent, and there might be other things too. Um, I think that, that, you know, helps us not only personally, but as a society. Well, I think one way you get people to change is by telling a compelling story that they listen to. And that's something you did very, very successfully, Laurie. So I, well, thank you. I definitely applaud that. How do I say goodbye to my therapist? It feels like a really awkward um, <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. Um, so um, again, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, if people want to see somebody else, even if you don't, even if you you feel like you're you're ready to you know leave, um, and you've had a great experience, um, I think that that I talk about this with people early on, which I say you know we will talk about leaving you know while we're working together because the goal right is is to have you feel like you've moved through something and um, you know we always want to just check in about that when you're ready to leave. And I think sometimes, um, you know, people will come in and they don't really have a lot more to say. And we start talking about, hey, have you noticed that, you know, things are going pretty well in your life and there doesn't seem to be a lot going on when you come in. And, you know, we talk about that. So I think therapy is, is first of all, it's a terrible business model because our goal from day one is to get you to leave because we want <laughs> you to get better. Um, but but also it's on an emotional level, it's kind of a strange thing because it's, it's one of these things where it's, it's, it's set up from the beginning that you're going to form a very deep relationship with these, you know, with your therapist and your therapist will form it with you. And then you have to say goodbye. 
And, and it's, very, it's very strange because I don't know of any other situation where that's the setup from the get-go, um, where you know that you're going to form a very deep relationship with this person and you'll have to say goodbye. So I think that the goodbyes are really important. A lot of people who come to therapy have never had a really good, healthy, satisfying goodbye. And we definitely want to make it that way for the people who come to see us. And so it's a process. We'll start to, you know, it's not like you come in one day and you're like, I'm done. Um, you might come in and say, you know, I think, I'm, I think I might be done. Can we talk about it? Or, or I will bring it up if I think they might be nearing the end there. And we talk about what that means and what the timetable looks like. And we, um, you know, it's a very intentional goodbye. Well, that sounds like a really healthy way to deal with it. I wish I would have read your book before the first time I, I said goodbye, <laughs> uh, which leads <laughs> me to my next it? question. How do we know if we have a good therapist? How do you feel in the room? That's, 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 that's helpful. Um, do you feel uneasy? You know, is your, does your therapist feel like too chummy with you? That's kind of like, mm, I don't know. You know, that might make you feel a little bit like uneasy. Um, does your therapist feel too distant? Um, does your therapist seem distracted? Um, does your therapist not really um, not seem warm? Um, you know, and everybody's looking for something different. And that's why I sort of brought up the dating analogy earlier that one person's style might work really well for certain people and another therapist style might work really well for other people. And that's why it's, it's highly individualized in terms of, you know, what to look for, not to look for in a therapist. And that's why my answer was, how do you feel in the room? If you feel good in the room, I don't mean that you're, that it's like a cocktail party in the room, like you're having a great time. I mean, do you feel understood? Do you feel, um, do you feel like this person cares? Do you feel like um, you can freely talk about what you want to talk about? And if not, you can bring it up with a therapist because you may, you know, it could be a problem in terms of the fit with the therapist, but it also could be that you have these issues with other people and it's not the therapist. And if you can work through them with the therapist, you won't have these issues with the other people in your life either. What do you wish people knew about therapy that I, I haven't asked yet that people came into your office knowing already? I wish that they knew that they are in the driver's seat, that when they come to therapy, um, they get to determine what they want to work on, what, how long they want to stay. Um, you know, it's their hour. And I think that some people think that they're going to go to therapy and, um, you know, the therapist is, you know, that they're going to be there forever or, um, you know, or they don't really, they won't be able to kind of um, talk about what they want to talk about um, or the therapist is going to have another agenda. And by the way, sometimes we do have an agenda, which is we want to help you feel better. And the way you think you can feel better may differ from the way we think you can feel better, meaning there are things that maybe you're not quite seeing yet. Um, but I think that people should just know that, you know, if they if they really if they really want to um, feel good and they're not, that therapy is a really viable option and it, and it's really effective. And I think that people shouldn't be so um, scared because 
they don't know what it is. And I hope that in my book, I demystify it so that it becomes, it seems really normal and natural, these conversations that we have in the therapy room, that they can kind of get a taste of, oh, that's what it sounds like in the therapy room, or that's what it's like. And it seems really, um, you know, just, just very comfortable. Well, I think you did a really strong job at that. The book is Maybe You Should Talk to Somebody by Lori Gottlieb. Thank you so much. Are there other ways that people can keep in touch with you? What are the best ways? Um, they can go to my website, which is lauriegottlieb.com, and they can uh, find me on Twitter at, at lauriegottlieb1. I will search for you on Twitter right now, Lori. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. I really enjoyed that conversation and certainly feel a lot more comfortable with therapy in general after talking to Lori and reading her book. This episode marks the halfway point for the first season of our show, and I would love your feedback on how it's going. I teach all my innovation clients to do after-action reviews throughout their projects, and this is the perfect time for us to embrace the concept. I'd love for you to join us on the private Facebook group for the show, Professional AF Podcast Insiders, to share what you think is going well with the show, what you think could be improved. Please give me this gift of feedback and help me make the show even better in the second half of the season. And if you got any value out of this episode, please share it and review the show. These episodes are meant to be shared among friends as sparks for important conversation to hopefully help you both grow. And ratings and reviews help those internet robots discover this podcast and promote it to other people. So it would mean a lot to me if you took the time to write a review for the show and share it with others. I am Diana Kander, and I know this to be true. Curiosity is your superpower. It is the catalyst to all of your future achievements. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>